purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Here we are in episode 71 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe, and I want to say thanks for listening. Seriously, I am grateful for another opportunity for us to connect and always appreciate when you respond and we have the opportunity to interact and engage. Well, have I got a treat in store for you today. Rich Sheridan, he's the author of Joy Inc., co-founder and CEO of Menlo Innovations in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Rich is joining me today to talk about his second book that releases today, Chief Joy Officer. And that builds on and continues the story of his first book, Joy Inc. Let's get started. Hey, Rich, what a joy to welcome you back to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Great to be with you, Kevin, and can't wait. (laughs) Same here. Well, Rich, since the last time we chatted, I've adopted something new as I launch into these conversations. It's a gratitude moment. Mm. So what's something you're grateful for in this moment? Yeah, just over the last few days, Kevin, because of some tours we've had here at Menlo, when we do tours here, we often draw people in the team spontaneously and unscripted into the tours and the visits. And I get to just sort of stand to the side while our guests interact with our team members. And there are some people here who came here right out of college and have been here well over 10 years. And I am so grateful for just the opportunity that they have had to grow here and mature here and turn into these just consummate, confident professionals. And the tour guests noticed that and pulled me aside later and told me what they saw (laughs) in them. And that just warmed my heart beyond anything else that happened those days because I thought the fact that we created an environment where that kind of personal growth could happen and that the people who grew chose to take that growth on is just delightful. Yeah. Okay. So what you just said there kind of creates a lot of things that we could talk about. I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I certainly want to talk about it because you just called it out. And I remember from Joy Inc. that what you talk about, the leader's real job is to create the environment. Mm-hmm. to pump fear out of the environment. You can't make people enter in and take part, but you're saying you've watched these people do it, but your job is just to create the environment, to issue the invitation. You want to say something about that before we go further into the new book? Yeah, I tell people that maybe this surprises them a bit, that I'm on a very personally selfish journey here. <laughs> uh, And the way I describe it is that I created the kind of company I wanted to come into every day, that I could feel that human energy when I walk in the room, that I could feel that kind of personal development of the people around me that we've created in an environment that allows that to happen is pure joy for me. And quite frankly, what had to happen, I know you and I've talked about this, I had to change. Yeah. 
I had to become a different kind of leader. I had to stop wanting to be the smartest guy in the room and the guy who had the idea first and Mm. be seen as the top dog in the facility. And to be able to step back and allow others around you to grow and encourage them and mentor them when they need mentoring and let them make mistakes and recover from them. And there's a lot of fun stories we could go down that route if we wanted to is just, you know, it it was a risk, right? You do stuff like this and you don't know it's going to work out in your heart. You believe that what you're doing is the right thing. But when it finally turns out the way you hoped and, you know, we get all these people who come here and visit and they're like blown away by what they see. I realize now that maybe another thing I'm grateful for is that I'm in a very blessed place in my life because I got to do what most people only ever dream about. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So on this, there's something else I remember from the new book, Chief Joy Officer, that we're going to go a little deeper in. But you do something sometimes that some people may go, well, really? But part of this joy, you're the first person there a lot of mornings. Yes. And you'll clean up the kitchen? Uh Uh-huh. Did it this morning. Yeah. Well, you know, I part of it is for me, and this is a personal thing too, I don't particularly like to walk into Menlo after it's already going. I like to see what I call sunrise at Menlo, and which is a really crazy way to describe because we're in the windowless basement of a parking structure. But I like to, you know, just like probably a lot of people who are naturally early risers, you like to kind of see the sun come up and the the birds start singing, and you know, the hubbub of the day, you watch it develop. So I get to do that because I am an early riser. I actually enjoy getting up early and getting to work. And so when I come in, I circle the office, I turn on all the lights. I'm often, when I'm in town, I am often the first one here. And so I want to brew that first pot of coffee because I love coffee. And then I'm in the kitchen. And then I look and I'm like, oh, the dishwasher's been run. And so I open it, I empty it while the coffee's heating up and put all those dishes away. And you know, right now we have a broken dishwasher. We have two of them. And so one of them's broken. It's really annoying. It'll be fixed by Friday. But the team gratefully uh, puts the dishes to be loaded next in the sink. So then I just start loading the dishes in there. And typically enough of them are there to run the second load already. And to me, I know I talk about this in the book, because it seems like, well, shouldn't you just hire that out? Shouldn't that be somebody else's job? And that? But I do like the grounding of, you know, speaking on a podcast about joy with Kevin Monroe and spreading a message to the world as, you know, as a CEO probably should do if they've got an important message to share. But that my day started with that very practical grounding in reality keeps me connected to what's going on in Menlo. And I don't mind doing that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that is the people-centered approach. That is the other-centered approach. That's understanding our place in the world, right? Just because you're the CEO and co-founder, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from loading the dishwasher. And that whole element of servant leadership. Well, and I think the other thing that's important, too, because there is a role of CEO and leader as example setter. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I could tell somebody to empty the dishwasher. But it's funny, I'll people will walk in and they'll see me doing it. And I've heard the, you know, some people thank me. Oh, thanks for emptying the dishwasher, Rich, which I appreciate, but they appreciate it. <laughs> 
But I also want to set two tones. One is, hey, this is everybody's job, including mine. Yeah. And secondly, there's nothing I should ever want to ask somebody in my team to do that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Mm. Mm. You know, whether I should be doing it all the time or not, whether that's the most important thing I can do, it takes five minutes. Isn't like, oh my gosh, you should have written that important email for those five minutes, closed the next deal, you know, landed the next speaking engagement or something like that. Yeah, there's plenty of time in the day to do that. But that grounding in reality just helps Mm. me stay connected to everything we've created here. Okay. Well, that was just one of those bunny trails that we enjoy taking. Hey, Rich, you talked about these tours that you do. Yeah. So there are two levels of interaction that I know happen. One, these tours where people come to you. The other is that since writing Joy, Inc., you have traveled the world, parts of the world, sharing the message of Joy, Inc. So question I have, were there recurring topics or questions that you hear, either from people coming to you or you going out and sharing the message that shaped the content of Chief Joy Officer? Yeah, I think in either case, tours or talks, almost the universal question I will get, and it's often not from the stage, for example, they'll just look at me and say, how on earth did you think of this? (laughs) Right? Because it's so paradoxical, the things we do, it's so contrary to probably business school teaching and thinking And, you know, there's so many things where we just turn the world upside down and said, nope, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. And people wonder, like, you know, are we some like amazingly creative people that just have these crazy ideas that we uh, employ? And I suppose there's some element of that in our world, but it backs me up. It backs me up to where they are. It backs me up into the pain that I was trying to escape in the earlier part of my career. And even in Joy, Inc., I remember writing, you know, that section that's called My Journey to Joy, where I talk about my trough of disillusionment. I tell a different version of that story in Chief Joy Officer. And I remember the first time my editor pushed me a little bit. She says, I'm not sure people want to hear that story, Rich. And I said, oh, no, I can guarantee you they want to hear that story because I get asked that question all the time. And I think it's born out of a little bit of, I don't want to say envy, but I think people see Menlo and they want to be Menlo. They want to be like us. They want to grab some piece of the joy we have here and bring it home to them. But then they step back and they're like, well, you're so lucky. You got to do this. It wouldn't work for me because my company is too and fill in the blank. Right. You know, too big, it's too small, it's too young, it's too old, it's too regulated, it's too unregulated, it's too profit focused, it's too whatever. And they say, yeah, so I can't have what you have. Hmm. And I pull them back and I tell them, number one, I tell them, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Let me tell you where I started. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you about the longest drives I was taking to work and that I didn't want to be there. And even though I was being rewarded for all the things I was doing, I was miserable and was planning an escape to the boundary waters of Minnesota. Okay. And in that conversation, I actually believe there's now hope again inside of them, which is my goal whenever I have tours that I speak with or talks I give is simply to inspire people on a joyful journey of their own. And I think by making it relatable, like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, you weren't always this guy, you weren't always Mr. Optimism, you weren't always Mr. Happy, Mr. Joy, and all that sort of thing. You were miserable like I am now, and you escaped. Hmm. 
And I think that almost frightens them. Yeah. Yeah. Because suddenly they realize, oh, mm. crap. <laughs> I mean, I could actually do this, right? Right. And right. I'm like, yeah, you can. And, and quite frankly, I sometimes exhort, and you must. Mm. Mm. Because the world needs that part of you that is yeah. so protected now, the part you won't take out, that you won't be vulnerable with. Wow. Wow. All right. Before we go deeper in this, just why joy and what is joy? How do you define joy? Yeah, I had to. Again, there's always been these interesting arguments because a lot of people immediately go from joy to happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And look, we're happy here at Menlo. We have laughter. We have dogs. We have babies. I mean, there's a lot of happiness here. But it would probably require medication to be happy every minute of every day. <laughs> yeah. Like all of us, we have hard work to do. We have important work to do. We will struggle. We will have setbacks and obstacles that we have to overcome. And it would be impossible to be happy every day. Joy for me is transcendent. Joy is about mm -hmm. that purposeful, long-term view of where are we going? How are we going to get there? What are we willing to put up with to get to this very hmm. noble, worthy goal or outcome? And so for me, joy in my life comes from serving others. Hmm. My biggest encouragement to anyone who comes here on a tour is to say, you know, as Simon Sinek would say, start with why. I talk about this worthy external purpose where the Arbinger Institute talks about the outward mindset. And I tell them, I said, I think every organization must work hard to answer two seemingly simple, but not as simple as you think questions. Who do you serve? And what would delight look like for them? Mm. And until you can confidently and regularly and repeatedly throughout your team answer those two questions, I don't believe you will get to joy. Mm. Wow. Wow. Mm. Okay. Thanks, Rich. And I just appreciate your willingness in the book and in life and in your leadership to tackle tougher topics that obviously some leaders aren't comfortable talking about. You know, this whole idea of joy, because joy... I guess for many, it seems ethereal, it seems soft, it seems fuzzy, but there's another topic, and I just want to talk about that a minute. You said, if you want engagement, if you want your team to lead, even when you are not there, then only love will do. So, let's talk about love a moment. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting me teary-eyed now. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. A <laughs> little brief aside, a little rabbit hole here. One of the things that uh, I got to do this time with the book that I didn't get to do with Joy Inc. that I'm just so thrilled about is I got to read the audiobook. Mm. It is my voice for the audiobook. Hey, thank you for doing that, by the way. As someone that listens to audiobooks all the time, every day, I just can't hardly take one anymore if the author's not the one reading it, because I have a relationship with the author. I know that takes time, so thank you for doing that. Yeah, you bet. And uh, just yet another brief aside, Tom Peters, who wrote the foreword, read the foreword. Mm, awesome. Which awesome. is just like bucket list territory for me. <laughs> but it's funny, the reason I bring that up in the context of your question is what I didn't anticipate fully mm. is how choked up I was going to get while reading the book. Mm. 
And there were about four places where I struggled to get through without tears. I haven't actually heard the audiobook recording yet, so I'm really interested to see how did that eventually turn out? Because I think Mm. the director wanted to capture that emotion, and obviously they don't want a crying author on the (laughs) We had to take a few takes there. But (laughs) love is such a, you know, I mean, if you think joy is a touchy word in business, let's go to love. Yeah, let's talk about love. You know, and it's funny because that chapter originally wasn't going to be about love. It was going to be about gentleness. Hmm. And I was actually drawn to an Aesop fable about the wind and the sun. Maybe you've heard that one where they had a competition. Who can get the guy's coat off? And the wind blew and he blew and he blew and he blew. And the guy just held on to his coat. And then one sun came out with all his gentle warmth and the guy just peeled off his coat. And I think that's such a Mm. profound image of what it means to be a joyful leader. Mm. The gentleness can win every time. But as I dug in and dug out, dug in on that chapter, love popped out. Mm. Then as you saw, I went to what first Corinthians talks about love, which so many wedding ceremonies will include that as a reading. And I started to read that passage on love and I realized That's what we want out of leaders. Mm -hmm. All of the things that passage says about love can be, and I will say should be, maybe even must be said about leaders. Mm -hmm. Because we've all had good bosses. We've all had bad bosses. We've all seen good leaders. We've all seen bad leaders. And I don't think we grow as individuals Mm -hmm. without that kind of love and gentleness all around us. Mm -hmm. And so I dug in. I have to admit, there's times where I've written stuff and I'm like, I wonder if even my editor will allow this to pass through, right? Right. And what's interesting to me, Kevin, and you're just the next example, you know, the book isn't even out yet. And all the podcasts I've been doing, they go to that. Mm -hmm. And not like, oh, come on, Rich, really? No, they go to that because they see the power of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm delighted because when you do stuff like writing a book, there's a lot of vulnerability in writing because, you know, it's like, I think this is really good in my head. And it's in the Library of Congress. for. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there is that. There is that immortality of uh, writing. It's kind of cool. But the depth at which people connect to those mm-hmm. kind of thoughts and ideas is joy for me. Well, I have to call out love because I just see, I am delighted to see love and the other soft skills. It's funny. I I had a conversation with a leader this week and we were talking for years. We called this the soft stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're realizing that the hard stuff is really the the hard stuff of business. Yep. Soft is hard and hard is soft. So here's a quote that I just love from the book, and I want to invite you into this. At every point in our dealings with others, we can be harsh or kind. Both approaches are free, but one comes at a high cost. So every encounter, you could either approach it through harshness or love and kindness. So the question is, where or how have you seen love at work in Menlo in the last few days? It's probably so many places. I see it here. You know, I think one of our kind of core values of Menlo is take a chance on people. And that Mm. rolls all the way back into our interviewing and hiring processes. 
And we're adding a lot of people right now, which is that delightful place for a business to be. We're growing fast. We need more. So if your audience wants to come work for us and they have the <laughs> modicum of programming skills, have them send a resume our way. You know, I think when I look at the new people joining or people who have joined even in the past year, and I see how success-oriented our team is in inviting new people in to join. Hmm. That there is just, you know, they probably don't think about that as love. Hmm. But it is that, again, outward mindset of, no, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm going to help you succeed. I'm going to guide you along the way. And as long as you're a willing student, I will be a willing teacher. Hmm. And probably the most delightful part of Menlo for me in a variety of ways, and you got me thinking about a whole bunch of different things, so I'll just kind of rattle them off and we'll see if that creates more rabbit holes. One is that people regularly send us their children. Hmm. And, you know, Michael here, his dad came on a tour from a gigantic corporation called Mass Mutual. And I think he or somebody in their group asked, and he said, where do you find your people? And I just joked with him. I said, well, people regularly send us their children. And it's true. We have a lot of children of people who know us well. And apparently, Michael Sr. went home, told his son, I found the place you want to work. <laughs> and within weeks, Michael was here and he's been with us a year. And to me, that a parent who comes visits us or reads a book and says, I would love my kid to work for you, hmm. is that's probably the most trusting thing yeah. Yeah. a human being can do is offer you their child. And why would they do that? Right. I mean, your kids go off, they get their jobs. We hope the best for them. But probably many of us are cynical that you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a crappy boss. You're going to have bad days. You're going to become disillusioned. You're going to want to quit. You probably will. And then you go find the next job and you'll go through it all again. And I'm really sorry it has to be that way. But that's the way it was for me. And I think now people come to Menlo. They literally hand us their child like a desperate scene on the deck of the Titanic and say, <laughs> It's too late for my career, but take my child, please. And then what happens, and it's happened a few times here lately, Scott's sister, Lindsay, is now working for us. Mm, mm. She quit her job. She started here at a lower pay rate than what she had been making at her old job. And Scott knew she was so miserable, and he knew she would work out well here. Ian's significant other, Jody, just started work here and so darn cool because not only does Jody get to come here, I think she's a really good pair partner for Ian and she gets him here every day on time, which was a problem for him in the past. And they bring their wonderful dog, Egon, who is just, you know, dogs are such a great example of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And so we love having Egon in the place. He brings us a lot more joy and happiness. So to see family members start bringing family mm. members with them is another cool aspect of Menlo. Mm. And then the last thing that is such a common practice now, it almost seems regular, but certainly is a place where love exhibits itself every single day, is the babies. Mm. Mm. The Menlo babies. And Flynn left about a month ago. Josiah was here up until yesterday. And... <laughs> I know for me, and I know for so much of the team, I mean, just such a sweet kid. And when you have a baby in the room, there's something about babies. Yeah, yeah. 
especially as grandfathers, we can say that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, a lot of people are on to me now. They're like, oh, you just want the Menlo babies to satisfy that grandfather thing. And you know, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Another part of the personally selfish journey, for sure. <laughs> okay, so unless people misunderstand, because unless people have read the book or taken a tour, they think, oh, they have a daycare. Isn't that nice of them to have daycare? I know enough that's not what we're talking about here. So just a couple of sentences about that, Rich. Yeah, so... 11 years ago, Tracy had little Maggie and the daycare was full that they planned to use. Grandparents lived too far away to help and she didn't know how to get back to work. And I said, bring her in. She's like, what do you mean? I said, bring her to work. And so she did. And this was not a daycare option. This was mom was going to be with baby, baby with mom all day long. And we didn't know if it'd work. It was in the classic framework of something that runs Menlo every day, which is let's run the experiment. Yeah. And that was an experiment that we didn't know would work. And I always tell people when you run experiments, expect the unexpected, Mm. especially if it involves little humans. Mm. And, you know, Tracy was worried that Maggie would fuss and disrupt the team. And we got that. We understood. But we said, you know, my comment to her was, Tracy, you're the mom. I trust you. You'll do the right thing. I mean, parents are more sensitive about that stuff than anybody. And so she brought the baby in. And Maggie, of course, fussed. But it was the team's response we didn't expect. They rushed to the support of the parent. They said, oh, yeah, you know, I know you're busy. I'll hold the baby. Hmm. So these babies are raised by the village. Well, that was 11 years ago, Kevin. And Josiah, who just finally went, you know, stayed home with their uh, daycare provider as of yesterday, six months old, is Menlo baby number 22 in the last 11 years. Wow. And again, not daycare, the babies with the parent or with the team. Now, I got to tell you, there's this other fun thing that happened the other day. Lisa had Josiah and Lisa's the mom and she was leading a tour hmm. and she had Josiah in a front back on the tour. Okay. So that happens a lot here actually. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing how well the baby behaves when you're talking and that sort of thing. Just they like that kind of background noise. So I knew that. I looked over, I kind of smiled to myself like, oh my gosh, what other company would, you know, do that, right? And then I look over again, you know, a little while later, because she was, you know, across the room from me, and she didn't have Josiah anymore. And I'm like looking around like, I wonder where he is. I wonder where he is. And I looked into the room where the baby would normally sleep and that, no, that door was open. The light was off. So he's not in there. I looked in the little saucer that he often plays in. Nope, he's not in there. And I'm like, where is the baby? And then finally I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, one of the tour guests is holding the baby. I saw that coming. What? (laughs) And it was a guy, right? It wasn't a woman. It was a guy. And so later I said to Lisa, I said, what happened there? You know? And she said, well, this guy is, uh, his wife is pregnant. They're about to have their second child. And he said, you know, I'm a little out of practice holding Mm. Would you mind if I held your baby during the tour? I'm like, oh my goodness. When that stuff happens, I just love it because I know it's going to be a story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then there's joy. Just, yeah. All right. So, lest people think this is fantasy world, all rainbows and unicorns, (laughs) there's another line I want to ask you to address because I love this. Even if tough love is required. Can it be delivered in a way that isn't harsh? Yeah. Yeah. Unpack that for us just a moment or two here. Yeah. Great line, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I always warn people, you know, because I think 
the danger, and I hope I expose this enough in the book, is that, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, Rich, you're such an amazing human being. You know, I wish I could be perfect like you. Oh no, I am not perfect at all. If you come here, Kevin, and get to see us, I'll, I'll parade you around and have you talk to all the people and say, let's find out where Rich screwed up like this week or last week. So uh, I make mistakes constantly here. But we should never allow our self-doubt conversations in our heads where we're not the perfect leader all the time or the perfect human being every time to distract us from our aspirations. Hmm. When we have to let people go, and we do from time to time, and those are always hard conversations, I tell the team, look, you know, because they're nervous, you know, when they're going to do that, when they've made that decision and they're going to have a hard conversation with somebody, I encourage them. Guys, now the conversation needs to shift mm. from, you know, build the employee to build a human being. You know, I realize you're going to have a tough conversation and we like to guard our hearts. We like to be kind of tough in those conversations and give, get a hard message. Like, no, this guy's going to be in the most difficult place in his life. Just lost his job. I and mean, what does he need? Mm. What does the person need? Mm. And so I think right around there in the book, I tell that story about that young man I met who comes up to me and says, do you remember me, Mr. Sheridan? And I said, no, I don't. And he's like, Rick. And I said, sorry, I don't remember. He says, you fired me. And I'm like, uh-oh. Then it all came flooding back. I'm like, yep, you're the first guy ever fired. And he says to me, he says, well, I can tell you, I've never forgotten that day. And I'm like, oh, crap. How bad did I do? You know, how horrible was I? How demeaning or how, you know, dispiriting was I? And he said, yeah, I was never the same since. He says, because what you taught me was what it means to come to work. And he says, what you taught me was that how to be a better person, how to be a better employee, how to be a better contributor. And he says, my life changed dramatically for the positive since then. And of course, you know, I wish I could be <laughs> every single day. But we should recognize as leaders that when we have to do the tough work of leadership, when we have to deliver the tough love, we don't have to harm the other person to do that. And that's so good. That is so good. Yeah. And so recognizing that every employee is a person. Yeah. And I met a guy this week and they just hired employee number 10. And he said, I started a habit. He said, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to sustain it. But when we were just three employees, I asked all three of those employees to bring a picture of their family. Mm. And they're on my desk. Mm. And he said, some of them thought I was a little creepy at first. Why do you want my family picture? He <laughs> said, but I want to be reminded that every decision I make, he said, now we have 10 employees, but there are 37 people yep. impacted by every decision I make and that we make. And he just wanted that vivid visual reminder. I love it. It reminds me a lot of how Bob Chapman at Barry Waymiller talks about his team, his family, and he thinks about the lives that are impacted by every decision we make as leaders. You know, we were able to just recently do a really delightful thing with our team. We changed the salary structure of Menlo and everybody all at once together in a room found out they were all getting really big raises mm. in an instant. And there was cheering and there was thankfulness and people were kind of James and I just telling them, you know, and this wasn't a bonus. This was like literally like an ongoing, your paycheck's going to yeah. be bigger from this point forward. And this wasn't altruism. We said, look, we need to remain competitive in this highly competitive talent environment from the software industry. And we recognized we were falling behind. So we're making an adjustment. 
But when they were thanking James and I, I said, you know, guys, just let's be clear. I appreciate you thanking us. I get it that James and I were the ones who fundamentally made the decision. But we could only do this because of your effort and the results it produced. So you need to step back and thank yourselves for what you created here because we couldn't do what we're doing unless you have done what you've done. But when I start to see members of our team and when you're an entrepreneur, you, you know, there's all these stages you go through and we're 17 years old now. So there've been people who've been here a long time. You know, we start watching your team get married, buy a house, have children, get a new car. Uh, there's a little bit of like that responsible feeling on your shoulders, like, okay, we're all carrying a heavier load together, but to see them build their lives around what you've created is mm. just, um, mm. I'm not sure I can fully ever grasp the impact that, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you have an idea and you say, I think I want to do this. I want to create a company that does this and we'll need people to help us do that. And then the idea comes to life and then you start to see it impact lives of the people who work for you and work around you. I don't know another place you can do that, but, you know, starting a business. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So, Rich, I want to do something real quick because there are a couple of other questions I want to make sure I get to. But what you said when you started the gratitude, watching the team grow, hmm. and then you're talking about love. I just want to invite you to comment a moment that this is different in some ways, that there are some people who have left Menlo and come back. Yes. And some have left again and come back. So, I mean, that's a different kind of growth, but it's also a different expression of this love. So just a little bit on that, if you will. Yeah. Ian is our best example. He's left three times and he's delightfully back now. And now he's brought Jody with him. So he might be staying a little longer, I guess, this time around. And their dog, Egon, who's awesome. But yeah, the first time Ian left, I'll be frank, we were going to fire him. Mm. And he quit. And thank goodness he did because it would have been a really tough conversation. And the reason was because it wasn't just that he like didn't believe in the approach we take to things, but he was actively in some ways, almost subversively trying to change the approach. He's just that kind of guy. <laughs> He's very passionate. Uh, and he believed something different than what we believed. And that was just rubbing against me and against my co-founder James and against the team. And eventually it seems like, you know, this is just a drag on us every day with the attitude he's bringing in because he just doesn't believe what we believe. And so he quit and thank goodness, goodbye, <laughs> you know, but two years later, he calls us up and says, Hey, I'd like to come back. And you might imagine <laughs> my first thought was no way. <laughs> And maybe there was a word in between those. <laughs> and yet the team, and I will tell you, we, even then, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we love Ian. Ian's dad had worked here. Ian's dad has since passed away. Ian's dad was the caterer at my co-founder's wedding. I mean, the depth of connection between our family, our greater family and his was strong. So we loved Ian but he just didn't belong here. And so, but the team's like, well, let's give him another chance, right? That take a chance on people. Maybe something's changed. And I thought to myself, well, I doubt it, but okay, you guys want to run this experiment, go right ahead. I know how it's going to turn out. And he comes back and goes through our standard three-week trial again, because the team wasn't sure either. And they said to Ian, you know, Ian, we're not going to just take you back on a whim. We're going to run you through our standard process again. And Ian got it. And he understood. I mean, 
Ian was absolutely self-aware of the challenges he had created for us in the past. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was clueless about this. Right. In fact, even today, he'd say, yeah, I can't believe you held on to me as long as you did. You know, you should have fired me. So he gets it. And so he comes back, and all of a sudden, he's this amazing, new and different person. And it starts rocketing up in our leadership system and getting more pay because the team keeps promoting him. And he's one of the most revered leaders on the team. And I pulled Ian aside and said, what on earth happened while you were away? And he goes, well, you know, I didn't believe anything you guys did. And I go to this other company and all of a sudden all the stuff you and James talk about that everything goes wrong in the software industry was happening all around me. And he says, I kept trying to, you know, exert my leadership to influence it. And he says, every time I did that, I pulled a Menlo thread into this company. And he kind of looks at me and he says, do you know how hard it is to build Menlo, Rich? I'm like, yeah, maybe a little bit. And so he says, one day I woke up and he says, why am I working so hard to rebuild Menlo when I could just go work at Menlo? And so he came back and he was with us for a couple more years. And then uh, he joined a startup company with another Menlonian, something we encourage. And he was gone again. And we were sad to lose him, but we were excited for the opportunity. Well, when that came to a close, a natural close, it was actually a successful outcome, but he, no more company. He came back again, and that time we embraced him coming back. And now he has some entrepreneurial experience. So he is more business savvy about him. So he made him more valuable. And then the next time he left, he went to one of the big automotive companies that, you know, you may know the automotive companies are moving headlong into a softer direction with autonomous vehicles and all that sort of thing. And they they threw a big pay raise at him, 50%. Mm. And we couldn't argue with that. Right? Ian's got a family now. He's got a son. And, you know, it's like, no, you know, go. You, know, you deserve that opportunity. You earned the right for that. Go. As hard as it was to lose him. And it was funny. When he left, he says, I'll be back in two years. <laughs> Literally sent an out message, you know, that we normally would use for vacations. I'll be back in two years. So a year into that out message, I just said, hey, Ian, how's the vacation going? Mm-hmm. He says, well, let's get together for drinks. And we did. And two weeks later, he was back because wow. he was miserable there. Mm-hmm. The money didn't make up for the loss of joy, the loss of camaraderie, the loss of teamwork. And quite frankly, the delightful thing about having him back now is he's a little bit of a poison pill against anybody else who's thinking of taking those big raises to go to the big automotive company because he's like, well, talk to me first. And then they don't leave. And now mm-hmm. one of those other guys is coming back because we lost a few people at that time. So anyways, those are unusual moves. In in my old managerial life, treating an ex-employee in the past was like a blacklist thing. Yeah. Oh, you are disloyal. You will never come back here. Good riddance. We will scratch your name out of our book and you will never, ever get a chance to come here again. And I just think that's dumb. Yeah. You know, it's like, what do we gain by doing that versus what do we gain when someone leaves, comes back? Because I can tell you, everybody who's left and come back, they come back stronger. They come back more passionate about what we created. They come back because they're literally choosing, passionately choosing to come back into our environment. Okay, so a quick bunny trail here, just because you said this. I'm going to tell the anti-joy story that I knew. I worked 10 years at a Fortune 100 telecom company, and this was before things got real competitive. And as things were getting crazy competitive, one of our guys left. And the VP, we're in this meeting, and the VP says, you know, gosh, can't we extract some vengeance on him, do some pain, you know, make the non-compete work or something. And they said, no, you know, we're right to work state. He's going down this list. He said, isn't there anything we can do to make his life miserable? Oh, wow. I said, we could hire him back. (laughs) So 
if Lux could kill, I would not be here hosting this conversation today, Rich. But, you know, we were all miserable. We didn't have joy. So as we move to wrap this up, I want to thank you for something. You inspired me. You don't even know this. But at the end of Joy, Inc., you talked about this vivid vision process that you had embraced. on. So you inspired me just from reading that to begin my own vivid visioning process of the future. So I want to ask you something. Let's go into the future you envision. Not just for Menlo, but one where joy is more prevalent. One where chief joy officers are not outliers, but it's a title joyfully embraced by many. What do you see happening and what are you celebrating then, Rich? Yeah, we talk about that here a lot, actually, because we are on a track to grow. The team wants to know why James and I want the company to grow because, you know, when you're at 50 people like we are now, that's a pretty comfortable size. And, you know, the team can get kind of like, hey, I kind of like this. It's cozy. So they question our desire for growth and they want to know where it's coming from. And James and I have a pretty clear picture on it. It's not about personal wealth. We're fine. The state of our lives is, you know, we've got everything materially that we need and our futures are assured and all that sort of thing. And our kids are taken care of and we, I've paid for college, he's paying for college and weddings that I've paid for and that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's nothing materially that we're seeking through this. What we want is to export the Menlo effect to mm-hmm. the world. And we think, our belief is that there's a larger size where that impact will be greater simply because it'll start to answer the question, well, how could you do this if the organization was bigger? You know, you'll lose your magic. And James and I, you know, we understand that mode of thinking for sure. And we know that everything we do today might not work perfectly at a larger size, say five times our size, but we're up to that challenge. James and I are ready to take that one on. That's where our personal growth will come from. And for me, what I see in the future, and you know, it's part of writing a book, which is just so powerful, right? Because people read it. People who've never met me are impacted. Sometimes they get emails thanking me for the effect it had on their life. Or, you know, are you telling me that you've written a compelling personal vision because of something you read from me? We know we've discovered something important here, and it's real. Mm. You know, we're not authors writing about an idea based on some research we did or anything like that. This is something we run every single day, and it has to be profitable. Mm. We don't have outside investors. If we're not profitable, we don't live. So this is a real business with real people that have to solve real problems and take care of our customers and all that sort of thing. But in that context, we get to be different. We get to be who we are. And when people come and visit and they see it and they leave inspired, they leave energized, they leave motivated, try something themselves. And all of a sudden things begin to change in their world. There's more joy in their work life. And I get to tell that story about Mass Mutual Corporation inside a chief joy officer, where within six months of first contact, they made dramatic changes to a $30 billion a year, 169-year-old life insurance company. And I tell people, if Mass Mutual can do this, so can you. Yeah. You know, you can look at Menlo and say, oh, you're so small. Like, you know, go look at Mass Mutual. They made big changes. And are they done? No, of course not. Did they change everything everywhere? Of course not. But the fact that there are 
probably now for me, thousands of people who come to work every day more joyful simply because of our touch with them, whether reading or hearing me speak, coming to visit, is amazing. And we want more of that. We want it to be, if not commonplace, at least an option for everyone to consider because there is this real living, breathing example that people can come see. And many do come and see. They do. (laughs) Thousands a year. Yeah. So, Rich, before we conclude, is there something you want to say, feel you need to say to make this conversation whole or complete for you? Anything we left out or? Well, you know, I want to speak to your listeners. If you are, in fact, like I had way back when, just before you fall asleep or just before you're fully awake, having those lofty dreams of how things could be different and you wonder, can I do it? (laughs) I tell people, take action. Mm. Stop the contemplation. Stop the form a committee and have a meeting once a month. Just start trying some things, small things, run small experiments. See what one thing you could do today that could make things a little better tomorrow for you and for the people around you. They can be actions of small size and of small scope. Hmm. We had a group here yesterday. It was an IT team of 3,300 people. And these were 20 leaders out of that group. And maybe all of them have about 50 people each reporting to them. And so even, you know, with this 20, with their 50, they're still only touching 1,000 people out of 3,300. And I listened to them as they went through the couple of days of visits that they had with us. And they kept saying this number, 3,300. You know, we have 3,300 people. And I realized that's their obstacle in their brain. They're like, we can't do it. It's too big. It's too massive. And I said, you don't have to do it for 3,300 people. Number one, change you, change your heart and change something for the 50 people around you. And then you inside of that larger organization can be the place inside of your own company that others in your company are coming to visit that you become a tour stop just inside your own organization. You don't have to invite external people to it. And I said, and here's the moment where things will change dramatically inside your company. And they all got it. I said, when there's somebody in another department who comes and sees what you've created, and they go back to their department and tell their boss, hey, boss, I'm going to request a transfer over to Kevin's department. The boss said, well, what do you mean? Well, I've seen what they're doing over there, and it's so exciting and so energizing. I want to be part of it, and I don't have that here, so I'm asking for a transfer. And as soon as that starts to happen, that guy's boss is going to say, (laughs) well, wait a minute. What are they doing that I'm not doing? And he's going to go visit, and then you'll start to ripple out that effect across the organization. So be the example Mm. that you want to see throughout your organization. And that infection and that contagion can ripple quickly. So just start the process yourself. Take action. Run the experiment. I think I just heard Dondi. Be the change you want to see. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, those time-honored words. You know, I think there is reason we are inspired by those kind of quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Because as soon as it hits us, we kind of say to ourselves, of course. Of course. Of course I could do that. Mm. And it's very freeing. I think what I've realized in my life through the books now, the tours and the talks I give, 
is probably my greatest contribution to mankind after all said and done is that I have given permission for people to think differently. Mm, I love it. Because I encourage them just through words, but because they can see that it works. And suddenly they're confronted with maybe the thing they're afraid of, and that is that change is possible, that it has to begin with you, and that there's nothing actually stopping you except that moment where you take a step. Thank you so much, Rich. We could keep going, but I want to respect your time. Hey, where do people go if they want to connect with you, if they want to visit Menlo, if they want to get a copy of Joy Inc. or Chief Joy Officer? Yep. Well, I would encourage them. I love my Twitter followers, so they can follow me on Twitter at Menlo Prez, M-E-N-L-O-P-R-E-Z. Follow me on LinkedIn via the same address. They can go to our website, menloinnovations.com, and there's a tab there that says, I want to visit Menlo and come visit. There are days we do three tours. There are days we do one tour. There are weeks that people come for the whole week and spend it with us. And all of those are just delightful for us and impactful for the people who visit. So yes, come visit us. All right. Thanks so much, Rich. Thank you. Rich, thanks for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as Rich and I did. There are things lingering in my mind. Let me call out a couple of those. And I really do encourage you to get the book, Chief Joy Officer, and read it because I believe it is worth the time you will invest. And I love that Rich is the reader on Audible if you prefer listening to the book. This whole idea of love, you know, love belongs in the workplace. And if you want engagement in your organization, if you want to see it hockey stick up, only love is going to make that happen. And then I love the idea that even if tough love is required, find a way to deliver it that isn't harsh. And remember, the employee that you're dealing with is a person and respect their humanity at that moment. This idea that change is possible, whatever the size, scale, scope of the organization that you're involved with, change is possible. There's no organization too small or too large. Change is possible and it starts with you. And then the final, and to add to another call to action for us, stop contemplating, take action, start something today. So what is it that you will start today that you'll be glad you did some tomorrow? Thanks for joining me. Tune in next time as we continue encouraging and inspiring you to live, love, and lead with purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you using your values effectively in your company? Defining and communicating them clearly can have a huge impact. Find out more at 28daysprint.com. That's 28daysprint.com.